Space is way more accessible today than I think it ever has been. Whether you're a techie, whether you're a marketeer, whether you're a business person, they may not realize it yet, but they're also part of the space ecosystem. Welcome back to the Genuine X podcast. My name is Tom and I'm on the Genuine X team. In this episode, Martin and I talk to the founder of Nort and co-founder of the London Space Network and NASA advisor, Anushka Sharma. Anushka, or Nush to those that know her, is a self-confessed expert generalist. Her passion for space travel and love for people has led her from working with startups in London's Silicon Roundabout to becoming an advisor for NASA in what could be considered to be the ultimate pivot. Nort, her latest venture, focuses on connecting the right people with innovative technologies for our multi-planetary future. I mean, that's pretty cool. Nush is also one of the co-founders of the London Space Network, a group of like-minded people who meet up and chat over a few drinks about how we could all be working in the space sector. I hope you enjoy this podcast and you too could also find out how solving problems could get you into the space sector. So welcome to the Genuine X podcast. Nush, hello, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. It's so lovely to have you. Could you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, so I am a Londoner, born and raised from Southwest London, and I am finding my place in the world. And I'm the founder of a company called Nort, which is all about innovation and frontier technology, as we look to have space exploration as part of our human journey, but really taking the best of innovation and frontier technology and applying it to make the world better right it mm. would be such a shame to go to the moon and mars and beyond if we weren't applying that technology back here on earth so that's really what i'm so about i know like now you're quite uh you're quite space focused which which i really want to talk to you about but one of the i'd, I'd quite like to just start off on your journey in general yeah. like what's led you towards space so i guess you could say i'm an expert generalist um, I've worked across different sectors from politics to telecoms to startups and curating um, communities of startups in Shoreditch. And I have sort of realized that the last 20 years of my career, I've had a portfolio career that only really now is the kind of background people are craving in organizations. And so I never really fit but all of a sudden I kind of do for the work I've been doing. And um, it's been a bit of a journey in self-realization and understanding where I sort of fit and what I'm able to like do to do the cool, collaborative, innovative work I love to do. Mm -hmm. And what is that sort of? So in in general, it's sort of like innovation strategy. Mm -hmm. So whether you're a startup that's looking to deploy your technology in a sector, whether you're a corporate that's looking to understand deep technology and where to think about strategically placing yourself, or simply just connecting the dots between cool people in my network to make magic happen or just have serendipity. Um, and then that's really where relationships form. And I'm, I'm sort of one of those people that I'm not about investing time in a company because I want equity. I'm there because I believe in the people behind what they're trying to build. Because I think as much as what I'm about technology, I think the human to human connection now and in the future is so powerful for the stuff that's really gonna matter. And guess where that leads to? the space sector and like really like the longer term play um, and I think hopefully if I can accomplish anything at the end of this conversation today is really hopefully inspiring people to realize that they may not realize it yet 
but they're also part of the space ecosystem, whether they consider themselves an astronaut or just a social media expert or a creative in an agency, because we're all working towards something. And I think that that's the underlying factor that hopefully they might be inspired or may discover within themselves today. Well, I'm changing my LinkedIn now. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a social <laughs> media expert anymore. I'm a space expert. Yeah. I'm down with that. I'll definitely buy that. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, we used to chat, you know, a while ago and I know you've always really loved space and the kind of the uh, innovation that comes with that process of, of space itself. But tell us about Nort and what Nort does. So Nort is really the culmination of the last six years of me really formally saying to the world that I care about the space sector. I think a lot of us and um, hopefully a lot of your listeners of the podcast would maybe have imagined being an astronaut someday. And I think as humans mm. um, through millennia, we've all looked up at that night sky. And whether you're from a council estate in Southwest London or a kid growing up in Mumbai in India, that's one thing that unites us as humans because that's what we look up and see. Mm. And so as um, humans, we've had this will to want to explore. We've scaled the Himalayas, mm. climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. Space presents such an opportunity. And I, I think I wanted to have a seat at the table mm. in helping shape what that future could involve us all with. Mm. And being someone who's really passionate about technology, Again, like, why can't we apply that awesome technology if it's not for the betterment of everyone on Earth, regardless of whether they have access to um, explore the moon or Mars? Mm. Because truly, that's the benefit of great technology. The outcome should be applied here on Earth first. And, you know, London was shut down a couple of weeks ago with Extinction Rebellion mm. protests. You know, time is really running out. We have 10 years to really do epic stuff together. And... We won't even access the space sector, like the space kind of like frontier that I imagine for our future if we're if we're not looking after our planet. So that really should be the focus of all the work we do, which again ties into the fact that we're all working in the space sector. We just don't realize it yet because that's the ultimate goal. What are some examples of ways that people can get involved or apply stuff that they're thinking is probably quite day to day at the moment? in the ways that you were talking about? So I guess I can touch back on the social media front because that's really how um, my first connection with NASA happened a couple of years ago. I applied for something called a NASA social where I got invited to attend the launch of a satellite um, in California. But it happened because of the work I'd done on social media. And I never thought that as someone who'd gone off and done um, like a computing degree, and I'm not a rocket scientist, let alone an astronaut, that I could mm. ever access NASA, let alone the space sector. And that really is what kicked it off. So if you're passionate about something that may not be part of your everyday role, whether it is something like the space sector for me, there are ways to engage in your passions in the sidelines of the work that you're doing in your day to day that could open up amazing opportunities for the skill sets that you're building in your current day job for your potential future tomorrow but also similarly you could bring those interests into your workplace and open up with that fresh thinking the opportunity for collaboration and i think that is where if you're given that freedom to think that way um, and empowered by your your kind of team then i think there's some really cool thinking that can be done that takes everyone out of their comfort zone and out of the traditional box of thinking and frameworks that we're applying to projects mm. so like i think back to the original space race between sort of russia and the usa was such a, a moment of innovation for the world in general like the things that came off the back of that were incredible Do, are you 
is your do you see that happening in the private sector as well is are we getting the same sort of ramifications coming out of that yeah like um it's quite interesting because nasa have been talking very recently about going back to the moon in 2024 and then you've got their their public private partnerships with the likes of elon musk and his spacex company mm -hmm. and jeff bezos with blue origin it's so interesting because entrepreneurs and people who have commercial space companies or technology that's being able to um, apply ourselves in the space sector is really pumping income into public organizations and agencies like NASA and the European Space Agency to really have a more collaborative approach. So at the moment, there's legislation in America that was passed by both parties that means that if you mine the surface of the moon, you can actually sell that <laughs> and make money off it. And, mm. and that's part of their, their tax system now. And as part of that race with these commercial and public partnerships, there's access to a certain number of companies like Moon Express and, and SpaceX and, and others who are now actually competing with one another within the NASA kind of network and agency to access the surface of the moon again. But I think it we have to think genuinely about the ethical side of that. There's a lunar rover mission that I'm advising at the moment, and I can tell you this much. Um, it's booked to go on a SpaceX mm. flight in 2020 if we hit our financial milestones. Um, but it's potentially gonna land on a site close to the Apollo 17 lunar landing sites. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm taking a little bit of a breather from that because I'm thinking about the fact of the historic implication of that being a historic site for all of us as humans. Mm. And as much as that is an amazing play to have access to that site, shouldn't we be thinking about that together? Yeah. Whether you're in the space sector or not, because this is a big part of human history, not just another mission to the moon, right? Yeah, you don't want to live at the Grand Canyon, right? So yeah. why, why do it to that particular spot? Yeah. Mm. How much crossover is there in the technology? Because it's because again, it's really interesting. It's, it's amazing how much we don't think about this. Because to Tom's point, mm. the original space race drove technology. It made technology leap forward all those decades ago. But nowadays, it seems that the investment in things like AI. I know you've talked about AI as a, to benefit space exploration. All of that is coming out of companies who are much more interested in social networks and advertising. Is there is there a connection and a filtering down from the companies putting satellites in space as well? Because it seems to me, certainly for me, it's we've forgotten about that connection. A lot of um, private companies are looking to put these low Earth um, orbiting LEO satellites up. Some of them are looking to get and provide greater connectivity that's cheaper and easier for people to access the internet across the world. There are other commercial satellite agencies that are now um, able to provide you um, photographs and real-time data. Scientists um, at NASA and an AI accelerator that I was working with, the NASA Frontier Development Lab, actually came up with some really interesting um, solutions to helping to identify informal settlements of humans who may be living off the grid in um, the developing world. But if a disaster were to happen, whether that was a natural um, disaster, how would NGOs and charities actually know where to deploy um, supplies and medical mm -hmm. equipment in the case of those scenarios? So there's some really clever activations that aren't, aren't, aren't like as spacey as we'd like it, mm. but they actually really help to like 
really give people that really need that support on the ground access to medical and healthcare and maybe electricity where they've been under service just because they don't live in a formal settlement. Mm. Um, and we have to think about the human rights of people. Mm. Um, when you've got a population of a certain number of people in this day and age, shouldn't they have running water? Shouldn't they have electricity? And, yeah. you know, doctors being able to get to them. Mm. So one of the one of the sort of really interesting things I think about the private space sector was mm. uh, I saw a documentary it's a long time ago now but about astronauts who came back from space and they had they had discovered they had gone through a spiritual awakening in space the, like the act of looking at the planet as a you know as Carl Sagan would say a pale blue dot was enough to spark some change in them to give them uh, a range of empathy they didn't know that they had before. And I was thinking about this and thinking, well, th what if someone like, you know, someone who's a powerful CEO who works in an industry which may be detrimental to the planet goes to space as part of the first crew with SpaceX and all these people who are incredibly powerful and high net worth start having these overview effect moments and spiritual awakenings. It could be, it could be the moonshot moment for saving the planet in a strange way. So it's so funny because the technology for getting us to space... It really hasn't changed. Mm. And this summer marks the 50th anniversary of the Apollo um, lunar landings. I guess particularly because of the American narrative, like it's genuinely because of public interest of like that space race that we had that many years ago. And I think we've got a whole new generation of people that are so inspired by what we're seeing now. And there was a rocket launch with SpaceX today that was scrubbed because of high winds. It's really creating more interest. And I think if that perspective can be reached and whether someone like you or I might get the opportunity as a tourist when it's affordable enough to also have that moment, I think I care more about as many people that want to have access to space to have it than just a select few, even though that select few, you're right, may create that chain reaction. But it has to come at a point where we're equalizing. Like to me, space is the equalizer. If you live in America, you're lucky you get to work for NASA. I grew up in the UK. We have the UK Space Agency, but we're not necessarily, we don't have a space program in the same way. And the same thing in countries in Africa, they don't necessarily have um, the same sort of level um, for anyone who was born in that country. Yet Nigeria has sent amazing satellites up before other countries around the world so there's some really interesting stories that we haven't really started to tell and maybe part of my journey with Nort is to start letting people know that and that these things have happened because I think public and general interest is increasing but space is way more accessible today than I think it ever has been and costs are going to come down but the risk is increasing and if you think about you know, this timeline we've been given that if we don't look after our planet in the next 10 years, we have irreversible damage. There's a whole bunch of space debris that's already potentially locking us in to our own planet. And there is a big issue there. Um, India launched this capability that can knock down old satellites. But in space law, whilst not being the expert, if you're weaponizing something in space, the shrapnel that can go at gazillion miles per hour can actually damage other working satellites. And that's more dangerous if it's going to create more debris in space. So the sustainable development goals also apply in space as much as they do here on Earth. I just really, really hope that everyone can think about the part that we're all going to play in really tackling these issues on Earth, regardless of how it's going to open up even more access to the moon and Mars and beyond.
So how do we get, um, we, work, we work with a lot of startups, a lot of bright technical people. Many of them, as I said, work in fields like AI. And a lot of that is because they're chasing investment from people like Google. That's their exit strategy. How, how do those sorts of people start to get involved in the organizations that you're associated with? So there are some um, hackathons that happen. Um, there was, uh, there's one called the NASA Space Apps Challenge. And I first went to one about three years ago. And they happen all around the world at the same time. And they bring together anyone who's interested in the space sector, whether you're a techie, whether you're a marketeer, whether you're a business person, whether you're a dev, whether you're an engineer, and you come together um, to solve problems. And it's a bit like running a sprint. It's a bit like um, coming up with a, a rapid prototype if you can. And actually from the one that I was involved with, uh, a lady um, whose name I'm going to forget and I'm going to have to tell you this so you can tweet out her name. She came up with a wearable device that was a working prototype of something that could detect the lack of oxygen. Um, it's called Canary and it means if you're mining on the planet and you go into a pocket of carbon dioxide, then that's going to help you know that you need to get your oxygen supply on. But similarly, it can be used on the International Space Station. Similarly, if oxygen levels are running particularly low for astronauts and she ended up winning the hackathon and has now had an amazing career over the last couple of years and is currently in Australia doing epic stuff all across the space ecosystem and she has a fashion design background so she's a creative uh, um, and an literally isn't necessarily yeah. a technologist but she had an idea and so if you can build the team and if you have that creative idea because I feel like everybody that's listening is a is a problem solver right they're thinking deep they're thinking about the challenges they're thinking about bigger things than um some of the day-to-day -day campaigns they might be working on so if she can do it so can you mm. no, i don't have to tell you her name this is so yeah, embarrassing no, no, I'm loving it. <laughs> this is great well it's as you say it, yeah. it's, it's it's literally not rocket science if you yeah you can be a web developer yeah yeah to get involved and who doesn't want to kind of say that they're kind of they've pivoted into working in the space sector who, so who, wh where does the funding come from for all of that? Who, who is funding that? Because if it's not the, you know, the, the bottomless pockets of the people like Google. So this is it. So um, the organizers of these hackathons have to find sponsors. So um, organizations that are some of the tech companies or are um, agencies or can provide that sort of mentoring and support. I mean, to have a creative agency on board to kind of help people as they kind of put an idea together in a way for a science and technical hackathon is really a good idea because you've got amazing scientists, but they just need to know how to tell their message. And I remember being at a hackathon in Germany about four years ago and I was mentoring. And what really struck me with one company, they had a rocket um, company and they're from Spain. They put a business model together, but they'd only allotted for one launch. And I was like, this doesn't make sense for business. You need to have factored in at least five to six pre-launch trials and factor that into your budget because 
as much as you're the brains that can solve the rocket launch situation, what happens if it fails? You lose all your money. So when you're going out and building relationships with people to try and get that like income generated to support you, you need business people on board to give you the savviness to help you really achieve the goals that you want to. And if you surpass that, then you've already got some money in your pipeline to reinvest for whatever else you're going to scale. So sometimes creative business thinking can come from bringing different people together. And I think collaboration is really the thing that there is something that's missing right now with scientists, with entrepreneurs, with creatives and innovators. And I think in a way, I haven't quite figured out how, how or what I call it, but Nort is kind of in the middle of all of that. And this is the opportunity that I see. And whilst I'm a human and bringing people together, technology such as blockchain, for instance, might completely, totally wipe me out of those transactions because I'm the connector that's bringing people together. If you have a blockchain technology of um, people or solutions or providers, then where am I in that? This is where I'm trying to future-proof myself and what naught becomes because technology is really great. And I think that's where we can talk about AI and algorithms, right? Because if that automates a lot of like business thinking to free up our minds to either A, in the grand scheme of things, solve the bigger problems in the world, or two, free up our time to tackle other issues or deal with other things, then that's a good thing as long as the AI that we're deploying is in that box and framed in that way. And I think when we talk about um, the singularity mm. and robots coming online and having this consciousness, mm. I think in some ways we are a long way away from that, but there are also people and researchers who are doing stuff that aren't necessarily part of the same ethical debate we are so well um, known for here in the UK compared to how AI technologies perhaps developed in China and the way that we invest in AI technology in America and how that's run by private organizations. And I think that's why I'm loving working with COGX right now, which is this festival about AI technology and emerging technology. Um, we're bringing all those people together. Yeah, we're bringing something like 15,000 people together um, across the Knowledge District of London, which is King's Cross, and really moving the conversation on from the last two years where we've had COGX. And we've got something like 10 stages. We've got people like Astroteller, who's from um, X, who is the captain of Moonshots, to academics like Stuart Russell, who are really driving like awesomeness in, in leading AI. But we also, ha also have ethicists, so people who really care about how privacy is managed in organizations. And I think if you're someone who wants to learn about how emerging technology is going to impact your business or sector, you as a person, if you genuinely just want to learn about how to strategically apply technology, if you want to meet people who are also doing that or have done it and so you can find case studies, what better way to know where to take that punt for your business if you've seen someone showing you what they did in a sector that's very similar to yours or one that is yours? Because I feel like that's how best practice is best served when you actually hear the case studies. Um, and I think that's where COGX is quite special as it mashes up um, vendors, academics, students, ethicists, 
and curious technologists like you and I mm. and creatives. And tickets are still available. I, tickets I are available. Yeah. So can I plug? Go yeah. to cogx.co <laughs> and I will tweet a link. And if you're a friend of mine, you might get a special offer. And what are the dates? <laughs> From the 10th to the 12th of June. So we're kicking off um, London Tech Week. And actually, we just announced this week that we're joined by the mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, as well. So um, we're really proud about that. Excellent. Yeah, yeah great. And then... Um, from naught, moving just moving slightly forwards in your journey. So, I've seen you've been quite instrumental in the London Space Network as well. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about the London State. Like, is it just a collective of like-minded people coming together? Is it startups? Is it sort of similar to what you just described? Or? First of all, I want to invite you all to come and join us for a London Space Network yeah. event. Yeah, we're in. We're in. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. The next yeah. one is on the thirtieth of May. It's it literally started in January. Yeah. And myself and my co-founders has. Um, three of us. Mm -hmm. We are friends in the space sector who do the various day jobs that we do in space. And we thought that, well, okay, this is, this is the story. We only ever see each other at space conferences around the world. We never see each other in <laughs> London. That's the real truth. <laughs> so it really started with us thinking that we would just be the three of us in a pub in January, like, you know, sad January, no one's really drinking, just having a general catch up. 70 people turned up and we were totally blown away. Like this was madness. And I remember people saying to us like, oh my God, it's a hit, you're like an overnight success. And I really had to manage people's expectations because myself and my co-founders, respectively, we have between us probably something like 15 years of expertise in the space sector. And it was because we were able to galvanize our social network mm. and our networks on LinkedIn and communities and friends. We had people who turned up from like the space um, like pods in London, um, around the UK from like Oxford. People came from as far as Oxford. A guy who turned up um, had flown in um, from a trip in Spain because he'd heard about it from a European Space Agency colleague in Italy. So wow. this is the power of like social media and technology where we really are like more local than we realize mm. and word gets out. And I remember trying to access the space sector like even 10 years ago and feeling so lonely and isolated in London. Mm. And I used to like hunt out meetup groups or like online um, talks that I could watch on YouTube from America. But now everything is so easily ac accessible. So if you are in Cornwall and you're like, how the hell am I going to get to London? It's okay because there are awesome things that are happening that you now have access to thanks to technology mm. that maybe you otherwise wouldn't have. And if you are in Cornwall and you are in London and it times with one of our meetups, come and join us in a pub and I'll buy you a drink. <laughs> Honestly, because it yeah. takes so much effort to, and it takes courage, right? Yeah. If you're not necessarily from a city and you're visiting and there's an event, one guy um, flew in and he was here from Australia and turned up at one of our events. Yeah. We've had people from space agencies um, turn up, which is awesome. Anyone from NASA? Um, I guess I'm NASA. Yeah, all right, <laughs> I'll, take, point, I'll, take, I'll take the NASA vibe. <laughs> oh my God, I just totally said I'm NASA. Yeah. I'm NASA. <laughs> I have worked with NASA, which is an amazing lifelong like yeah. amazing like achievement in my life. Yeah, yeah. makes me smile. Um, how was it working with NASA? Like, it, did, did you find it, were you quite disruptive as an individual? When you were there? Was it kind of old guys with beards kind of going? So what I loved is that I work with the NASA Frontier Development mm. Lab which is an awesome name. Yeah. And they're, they're a collective that are really looking to deploy AI and machine learning technology. And so they take postdoc researchers and put them through an incubation process. Mm -hmm. um, 
last year it was actually run in the SETI Institute, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence in Mountain View. Um, at the same time, it's also run um, with the European Space Agency in Oxford University last summer, and it's all happening again this year. I think applications have closed. But what I loved about it is that it took researchers, um, space scientists and machine learning and AI experts and industry experts together to come up with products like the informal settlement solution using satellite data. And I think that there's still an element that's missing. Mm -hmm. And I think they every year when you go through these accelerator programs, they, they learn and you can iterate and repeat. But it was amazing because I think I was able to bring an external network of AI and machine learning experts and astrobiologists and exoplanet specialists who had not been involved in that accelerator um, or incubator program and help them help the chief technologist at NASA understand how leading and cutting edge the outcomes of those papers were, mm. which is insane because who am I? How do I know astrobiologists and exoplanet specialists? Guess what? I'm the girl that can find those people, build that relationship and connect them to NASA. Mm. I like the challenge. I'm a people person. And so um, talking to, uh, you know, okay, so I met this awesome scientist called Clara who is looking for trace signatures from exoplanets. Exoplanets are other planets around our solar system or other mm. um, parts of the cosmos mm -hmm. who are orbiting around another sun. And you may have heard of some of these exoplanets because NASA gets really excited because they're applying machine learning algorithms to help spot them much more quickly using Kepler telescope data. And so now scientists are really able to quickly scale potentially and identify the ones that are more Earth-like than others to really concentrate their efforts. Because if we are going to be looking for resources later in space and humanity does evolve and we do take those steps and explore, then we need to know where the Earth-like planets are. But also, maybe this will reopen this conversation about, are we alone in the universe? Mm. Um, yeah. Because it was Planet X, wasn't it? Was yeah. it? They called it Planet X that we saw, which was the size of... Saturn, but it was an Earth-like planet, I think. There are, and there, there are uh, there's the Trappist system, which yeah. has seven planets that orbit uh, another sun, mm -hmm. but they have really weird gravitational pools, and they have nuances that are different to Earth. But that's the beautiful thing that we're now discovering. So I feel like technology is bringing us to this awesome brink where we're discovering so much so that guess what? You know what, Tom, your kids and your great grandchildren are going to be the ones that are going to solve all these awesome problems that in a way we're kind of shaping today by applying the technology that they'll have as their blueprint to maybe take those next steps because it will take time. I kind of like the thought of our generation being the definers of the problem and the following generations being the solvers. I'm not I hope take so. That. Or the last generation that won't consider space as a career opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Isn't it? Assuming we actually last to live a, you know, another generation. Yeah. What's <laughs> going on. Yeah. So there's so, so all the things you're talking about, it seems, again, like connecting back to the technology that's around. And there's a, there's a lot of computer vision involved in that. There's a lot of processing, a lot of image processing that goes on, isn't there? Because the data, because the recent black hole discovery was essentially a computer vision data processing exercises like the data's coming in faster than we can process it because huge volumes of data that we get from say telescopes and satellites it is and you know cloud technology and sort of um using cloud servers to help process these sorts of images 
is really interesting, but then you've got other things like quantum computing coming online or supercomputing and parallel computing. There are different ways that we're gonna learn how to best process this information, but it's also, it's also gonna take a lot of energy. <laughs> it's gonna take a lot of cooling power for these, for these processes to happen. And I think um, I think Facebook have servers on Iceland, which is cool because it's cool in Iceland, right? But people talk about taking manufacturing off Earth and in space. If we, I've heard people say at conferences, why don't we just put servers on the moon because it's infinitely cold? It'll it'll be fine. But <laughs> I laugh. Yeah, I mean it's laugh. quite. A bit, uh, I mean it's a great thing. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean. But also, sh again, going back to the ethics of it, shouldn't we be thinking about the impact that's going to have? Yeah. Because it's not just about solving like pollutants and manufacturing on our earth, which has made it um, be where it is right now. And we're having this like tight turnaround in the climate crisis, let's be real. If we're only going to transport that off earth, then aren't we just putting the, putting the problem in space, not knowing how that's going to affect us? But computers and cloud computing definitely like it's something that we're all going to be using much more and already are like i augment my brain with my google photo store because i no longer think about where i was or the date i took a picture in, in fact i don't have to hold that information in my head anymore i can just put the geolocation in search for my photos and the approximate date and it all comes up <laughs> so maybe google's going to charge me even more when i max out on that because it's all stored in the cloud right and so as humans are becoming more dependent on these machines that are really augmenting us then there are business models for these organizations that haven't yet really come into play but if you're future thinking enough like I mean, there is a business model there, right? I'm, you know, I can access, and, and let's talk, it's Mental Health Week, right? Um, let's talk about the fact that some of us are so dependent on these devices. Like, how do we, how do we, how, we're so dependent, oh, what am I trying to say? I've heard a bunch of people saying that social media is the smoking of this generation. Oh, that's it's, so it's, interesting. It's, it's, the, it's, the health, it's the health crisis because because we've got a whole a whole generation of of kids who are growing up addicted to the um, dopamine hits of likes on their photos, and it is it's, it's a physical it's a physical it's a physical problem. There, there was a quote I remember from uh, this awesome dude called Brian Solis who said something like, "A fourteen-year-old girl posts an image on Instagram, and if within the first thirty seconds she doesn't have something X number of likes, her." Um, her self-worth goes down by a, a massive percent. And that is really scary because the age that I am, I, I got through uni without digital cameras. Um, okay, there were digital cameras, but we used to use like APS photographs and like go and print them. I've had a life and had the freedom to have that life without it being on social media. Whereas now, if you're a kid and you're growing up, it's, it's also the intention of people that are not your friends that are also capturing images of you that you might not be aware of. And that's dangerous. That's a, how do we counter that? Mm. So oh. where, where do you net out? So we, start, we, we, we started talking about, in a really optimistic way about how technology is you know, making us reach for the stars. And, and, and obviously we're now where we are in the current day, which is technology is, is damaging in so many ways. Do you think long-term technology is a force for good? Do you have an optimistic view of the future? So, I'm smiling because I do. And I think this is why we have to have people like you and I together 
um, because I think our intentions are the good intentions, right? I think this is where social impact and um, impact investors are really not getting the traction they want to see in the world. I mean, so many businesses have built and scaled internationally at the detriment of our planet. And yet there are those of us who choose to spend our money in places to support those good businesses and really think about the the social impact to support the independent coffee shop owner who you know is responsibly and ethically getting coffee beans or roasting them on site. I think there's a generation of people who are now so mindful of the consequences of their day-to-day interactions with technology and how they're thinking about deploying that into the world. And that is... That is like truly where I'm now really thinking hard and really refocusing where I'm positioning Nort. You could think of us as sort of like the fixer, the space agency as a service. But really, if if we don't, if we as a Nort doesn't put our name to something that actually track, like doing something measurable. And I think at the moment, space debris is right, really the one that's like ringing the biggest alarm in my head right now. Mm. Um, and that's something that, once COGX wraps is something that I'm really going to be focusing a lot of my time on because time is short. Yeah. <laughs> and and Space Debris doesn't make the headlines very often. No. You know, it's, it's, it's not <laughs> up there at the moment. But with 5G coming online, um, there are licenses that you can get from Ofcom because they're the regulator of um, the 5G licenses and putting um, low earth orbiting constellations up in space. It impacts us before we realize it. Yeah. And yeah, there's there's some interesting stuff happening that I never realized that Ofcom was involved with in the space sector. Yeah, that's that's mad. And and 5G's coming online very soon. Yeah. And as much as it's going to help um, autonomous vehicles come online or drone deliveries in concept and actu- actuality, it's also going to impact in other ways that is bringing satellite operators who as you touched on earlier are more commercial operators that are taking bandwidth in a way similar to when um telecoms licenses went to mobile networks there's gonna there's gonna be this new bandwidth war i think and i think people may not have realized it just yet yeah what are the other challenges that um tech literate people can can solve you talked about space debris building a spacesuit that fits women is that the uh, oh yeah uh, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I did something. I wrote an article actually in response to the lack of a medium-sized space suit that was ready and configured to help a female astronaut do the first historic spacewalk with another female astronaut on the ISS. This is where innovation has stored, right? These were suits that were made 40-odd years ago, of which there are only a limited number on the ISS. And... SpaceX have designed their own version of the spacesuit, but there are there are so many other people that are perhaps working in extreme environments on the planet, maybe in Antarctica, who've already come up with like innovation that we could apply to the space sector. It's like, how do we yeah, hunt and join those dots? Yeah. So there is so much work that's already been done around the world. It's how do you find the talent and the people who already have those solutions that can be rapidly deployed? Um, in the case of the spacesuit, it would have taken however many extra hours to reconfigure it. 
So it was a business decision by NASA, truly. It wasn't the intention. It was a business decision because time costs money and astronaut time on the International Space Station is expensive. Astronauts only have a limited time to sleep, let alone have downtime to look out of the window because they have to do critical work to keep that machine up in orbit. Mm. Well, it was never supposed to be there for that long, was no. it? which is quite surprising considering the spacesuit's 40 years old. I mean, it's built to last, right? But the yeah. ISS was like... But this is where space tech is really low tech sometimes. Um, the Russian manufactured spacesuits are sealed um, with an elastic band because guess what? When you're in space and that elastic band breaks, you just get another one. Yeah. And that does everything it needs to do to hold it in place. It, it, that brings me back to the the pencil stories, yeah. which I never knew if it was true or not about the Americans spending millions of dollars trying to make a pen that would work in space, but the Russians took a pencil. Yeah, I had uh, that too. I I feel like it's true. I, it, I read that. As it's well. a lovely metaphor for innovation. Always creative problem solving, isn't yeah, it? Absolutely. Yeah, Don't throw don't throw technology and complexity at a problem when there's a beautifully simple solution. Yeah, take a pencil. Yeah, just use a pencil. Yeah, that's it great. Does. I, I, I wonder if there's a I wonder if there is a lack of uh, a sense of wonder about space. Have we lost something? Because and it sounds like a really stupid thing to say, but it's it doesn't strike me as something that's talked about. And I know that you need because it certainly happened back in the nineteen sixties. Everyone lost interest after the first couple of like land on the moons. Do we need the up and coming generation to kind of recapture a sort of sense of wonder and excitement about the possibilities of space? I think we do, and there's. We have a serious lack of like STEM talent in the UK. We don't. We need to really encourage um, kids to think about science, technology, engineering, arts, and maths. I make it steam, steam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because again, Good. that creative element is so important for these future problems that we're going to have to solve and really um, open up our minds to solving these problems. But even if we doubled the number of engineering um, graduates, for instance, we wouldn't have enough talent in the UK to tackle half of the scale of the growth we want to see in the tech sector, let alone the space sector. So that's why we have to think about opening up space across geographical boundaries. And regardless of the dreaded B word and what's happening with Brexit, mm -hmm. we have to think about how collaboration is gonna happen across the world, um, regardless of the political climate, because coming together, and maybe this is the future I envisage with space agencies like NASA and ESA, they're actually working together on the Orion mission. Um, they're working on something that's called the Lunar Orbiting Platform, which is going to orbit the moon and in many ways probably take over from the International Space Station, depending on whether a private person or other company or country buys it and that is going to help provide access as a platform to different parts of the moon so you dock with the um the platform and as the moon rotates and orbits underneath you then you hop up and down to different parts of the moon and access that yet that becomes a station that then helps you propel yourself on a future journey to Mars and, and that could be robots, right? That could be these avatars that we all talk about that we're connecting with. So the human person is maybe docked on the platform for a certain moment in time, but is able to operate remotely robots on the surface of Mars. So I guess going back to your your the, the, the question that you asked me, 
in in that we do need to encourage like the next generation to be inspired to want to tackle these problems but I think maybe it's our job as creatives and people to really paint that vision for them and space being that iconic status that iconic kind of you know I think I remember Tom you and I once talking about taking um, space odyssey and turning it into a VR experience yeah because I found the visuals of that film so stimulating and creatively stunning that if you could apply virtual reality technology or immersive technology, imagine the kind of visions of creativity or inspiration you could have by being part of that with the soundtrack and everything else. If you ever want to do that, if yeah. anyone else wants to collaborate, let us know. <laughs> those visuals are still quite, right? quite They're amazing. They're iconic. And there's a Kubrick exhibition. That's one of the, the challenges that NASA have set are their space apps. Yeah. yeah, a universe of beauty and wonder virtual space exploration and you know what that could be the way that all of us explore space right sitting at home on our sofa not watching netflix or any other streaming service and thinking i want to have like an otherworldly experience i want to i want to orbit around jupiter and Jupiter is stunning. The images that NASA have on their website that are high res, they're open access. So if you're a creative and looking to pull images for a visual thing for one of your clients, you've got access to these beautifully high def images which have been colored in. And this is the other thing. We talk about Instagram filters. We haven't even talked about astronomers that are using color filters on photos to make space look pretty for us here on Earth. There's a whole conversation around that that I've had with people. because. They are literally applying filters because we consider blue to be cold and red to be hot, but it's the opposite in science, in space, in astronomy. And so the beautiful images that we do see are colored in by humans to an extent to make it more easy on the eye. Because I've seen those, you know, those amazing ones, the sort of nebula clouds, which you, you look at the original and you're like, oh, oh, well, I preferred the other one. Exactly. But, and then, yeah, exactly as you're saying, it's like I'm Instagram filtering. So there filtering. are astronomers that are doing creative stuff that yeah. takes away from the science because they're making it look prettier. There's a, there's, some, there's a line to draw there between creatives and astronomers who are doing that, right? Well, I think there's like, I think it's a really interesting point of, of pulling together a, us being able to tell a story, which intrigues people more. And, you know, the the science and the facts that people are finding are are intriguing. It's just the way in which they're telling them, which is probably not... You know, the parameters of the story, the hero's journey of it, isn't being put in place for people to get their head around, I think. Which is why you have to capture their imagination somehow. Yeah. And again, that's how we've done it, right? Mm. I think both have to work together to inspire yeah. and really help us unlock what that potential could be. Yeah. So everyone get to COGX in a few weeks and attend one of the um, London Space Network meetups. And um, well, I want to yeah. go off and start working. I know, on right? I'm I'm totally down. I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we're going to get start solving some major problems. Nish, thank you so much for your time. It's been lovely to have you on the Genuine X podcast. Thank you so much. It's been awesome to be here and um, <laughs> love this conversation. Yeah, hopefully, well, hopefully yeah. we can have another one. Yeah. yeah. At some point, that would be great. I love that. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Fantastic. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you. If you have any questions or thoughts, please get in touch with us. GenuineXPodcast at jackmorton.co.uk And please, don't forget to like and subscribe. We've got some really great guests coming up and I wouldn't want you to miss them. Until next time, thank you very much. Thank you.